it's important for people to be aware that I'm not thinking of myself as that element or aspect of our life and that's going to change the world or alter humanity's consciousness. But I do think that I am changing myself. And I think that by working to change myself, I might have a positive impact on a few people whose lives I've touched. But that isn't my goal. I'm not, a, I'm not out here trying to change the world. I'm out here seeking to alter myself, to change myself to such a degree that as I move through the world, perhaps other people will find themselves touched in a way that serves them additionally. So I'm here to complete my soul's agenda, which is to announce and declare, to express and fulfill, to demonstrate and to experience who I really am as an individuation of divinity. I believe that love is all around us. Love is everything and everywhere. I am love. You are love. We are all love. In our divinity, in our soul, in the truest and simplest form of our being, we are pure, unconditional love. Love is the answer to everything. Every week in this podcast, we're talking to incredible and beautiful people who will be sharing their insights and perspectives to help you find more peace, to help you come from a place of love more often, to help encourage you to be kinder to yourself and others, to help you create more happiness in your life, to help you feel more oneness with others, and to help you connect to your higher self. My name is Justin Court. Together, we will help shift the collective consciousness of the planet to be more loving, kind, peaceful, happy, empathetic, understanding, and accepting. This can only be achieved together. It starts with each and every one of us. We are one. And it's time we start acting that way. I am so, so grateful that you're here. I love you. I support you. And I'm here for you. Let's together create more love in this world. Let's do this. There aren't enough words to describe how special it is for me to have this guest on the podcast and how much it truly, truly means to me. Neil Donald Walsh's books have completely transformed my life, how I show up every single day, and how I perceive this reality we live in. He has given me the most profound teachings, understandings, and insight of how to live a life of love. And he's shown me a God that's pure love and loves unconditionally, for which I will always be grateful. A lot of the things I talk about on the Spread Love Movement pages and the podcast here about our oneness, love, forgiveness, etc. are inspired by Neil and his books. During this episode, Neil shares a six-step process to how anyone can open themselves up 
and be in tune to receive communication from God and have their own conversations with God. How it's important to remove your belief in a separation theology because that produces a separation cosmology, which produces a separation psychology, which produces a separation sociology, which produces a separation pathology. From all the messages he's received from God, he shares the most important one for humankind to understand and embrace. And he will show you a God that loves you unconditionally. All right, everyone, please help me welcome uh, this incredible guest, Neil Donald Walsh. Thank you so much for, for being here today. It's lovely to be here with you, my friend, Justin. How may I serve the moment? So, you know, through your books, it does seem like you have this really surreal connection to God. And I know it's a connection that we all have, uh, but for some reason, I feel like, I don't know, you've been able to tap into that more or just hear God more. Um, so during this conversation, you know, I definitely want to talk about the new book, God Talk. Uh, and then I just want to, you know, talk more to you, Neil, and just kind of understand the importance of us being able to tap in to God speaking, speaking, talking to us in quotes, but how we're able to tap into that more and how we're able to hear those things. And because of the things that you've put out, like conversations with God has completely changed my life. I discovered conversations with God during COVID and I was home in New York. I left San Diego to go home and COVID was a disaster. And I discovered your book and I had this realization that this is what all this was for. If nothing else comes out of this, at least I was introduced to conversations with God and all this madness and craziness. It was all on purpose to bring me here to this moment that I could be introduced to that. So I just want to give you a lot of love and praise and thanks and gratitude um, because your books have are some of the most profound literature teachings I think that have come into this world um, and have helped guide us to live a life of more love to live a life of more peace and to live a life of more oneness. And through your books and your literature and the things that you put out, you've really helped articulate how we could do that in the most simplest form. So you just being here, Neil, your presence, the wisdom that's going to come from you is going to be in the best way to serve us on this podcast and all the listeners who are listening right now. <laughs> You said the wisdom is going to come from me, so I thought I would just kind of roll that out so you could deal with all the wisdom that's going to come from me because, listen, Justin, thank you. Those are very kind words. I got to tell you that I have a very strange and weird sense of humor, and everyone who knows me knows that. Uh, but uh, all humor aside for just a moment, Justin, there's no wisdom that's going to come from me, and no wisdom has ever come from me. Have I been a good messenger? Have I have I found a way to take take dictation? Do I do really well when I'm being you know given messages, and can simply repeat them? Yes, I'll give myself that much, but I don't want people to think that I think that I have lots of wisdom that comes from me. So when you use a phrase like that, you know, my mind goes, okay, I've got to do whatever I can to debunk that theory. So just so your audience knows now, in all seriousness, no wisdom is going to come from me. I have no more wisdom than you or any other average human being. But 
and I share the wisdom that's been given to me by God to share, that I will be glad to do. And I and I and I'm willing to claim that um, process as being one that all of us, as you mentioned yourself here, are open to and can access. We can all access the wisdom that God is sending to us. And you know what, by the way, um, uh, Justin, my experience has been that it's not just messages that we receive in the form of words, you know, sentences or paragraphs or, you know, uh, sometimes they're just feelings or or um, visualizations, images that come to us, you know, or even a thousand different ways that I, I have learned that the divine is communicating with us. Let me give you an example, if I could. Uh, even a fragrance. I was I was in the men's men's department of a major department store a few years ago. And I began smelling the fragrance of gardenia. And I thought, I looked around, there was nobody near me. No lady was walking by wearing perfume. I'm in the men's department. And uh, and furthermore, I thought, well, maybe maybe the perfume department of the of the department store is nearby. No, no, it was on the different floor. I asked, because I asked the manager of the men's department, where where do you guys sell perfume? He said, Oh, one floor below. So it couldn't have been coming from that place. So I'm thinking, why am I smelling gardenia? And I, I, I saw, I didn't give it a second thought, but I did respond to the impulse because Justin, gardenia was my mother's signature fragrance all of her life. So when I got home from the department store, I immediately called my mother. I, I might have done it in those. This is the, before we had cell phones. This is a story from like 20 years ago. But but I called my mother. And when I got home. And it was one of the most important conversations she and I ever shared. And Justin. Not much longer after that. She had left her body. She had transcended and did what people call die, although we don't really die. But she left her human form. Now, what would cause me out of the blue to call my mother? She lives in a whole different state, half a country away. What would cause me? Oh, I see a fragrance that was her signature perfume for, for 40 years. So my point in telling that little anecdote, uh, Justin, is that God is communicating with us. The source of highest wisdom within the universe is communicating with us in a thousand different ways across a hundred lifetimes in all the moments of our life if we're open to it. So it isn't just, you know, words that we hear or a message that we receive in the form of, you know, some utterance, but it could be just a, a, an image or a feeling, it's just a feeling that we have. So these come to us from the divine, and I'm not going to be sharing any wisdom with you today that comes from me. If you're looking for wisdom from Neil, let me share with you my wisdom. Neil, I feel like you've always been really good at that, at being very humble. In these moments, when people want to give you a lot of credit for what's happened, you're like, I'm just here. 
it all just came through me. And there's just, I don't know, there's so much love and respect for that, uh, that you, that you operate in that way. And this was just a perfect reminder of that for me. <laughs> it's like something I knew throughout your books. And this was just a real good reminder of that. So I'm excited for this wisdom to come through you from source and God, uh, and to be shared here today. And you know, that was a beautiful story. I was listening to conversations with God today and I came across the snippet where you talked about, and God was talking about how much of a beautiful teacher your mom was for you. Um, and that, right. She wasn't known. It wasn't anything, but that's not what's needed. She was just this incredible teacher for you. Yeah. Just a remarkable human being. Absolutely. You bring, you bring a kind of a tear to my eye when you, when you mentioned that Justin, because she was that she gave me, a an awareness that there is this essence called God uh, when I was very small. And, and my mother was ill uh, a, lot, a lot of my life. Um, she didn't have a, like a terminal illness for many years, but she had some debilitating, you know, conditions. And so she never went to church. Uh, my dad, and, my dad would take us boys. We were all Catholic, raised in a Catholic family. He'd take us to mass every Sunday. But mom didn't go. And one day, I was about, oh, maybe nine or ten, just a young young kid. But I said, Mom, you know, uh, you never go to Mass. And I know you don't feel really well. I know you have some issues, but don't you, don't you need to go to church? Don't you miss going to Mass? And my mom looked at me and she said, oh, sweetheart, God is wherever I am. I don't have to go to God. God comes to me. In fact, God is never apart from me. Imagine a 10-year-old hearing that from the highest source of authority in his life, because I, you know, I assumed that my mother would never mislead me about anything or never not know, you know, you, you know, the, the kind of authority we give our parents, especially when we're 10. We just think that they're the source of all the information we need to have. So here's my mother telling me this at the age of 10. And I carried that message with me all through the rest of my life. So yeah, yeah, my mother was an extraordinary human being, a very loving, generous person who understood that God was with her all the time. Thank you for allowing me to share that part of my life history. I know all of us, or at least I hope most of us feel positively about our moms. But boy, do I ever feel positively about mine. What a gift I was given. Well, I listened to that part of the book today, going somewhere that kind of ended up being pointless. And then I came home. But it wasn't really very pointless at all. Because without that car trip, going to that place, I never would have listened to that section of the book. Um, and that was a really beautiful moment. And it's really special to hear you talk about her um, in that way, and to just hear you in real time um, talk about her and, and the gifts that she gave you and how she raised you and um, how that fueled and created, you know, the version of who you are today. And then, Neil, so this is interesting. In reading God Talk over the past uh, few weeks, I've never really thought about it this way, because when I listen to conversations with God, I would think, wow, like how great, like 
why can't I be more like Neil? Like, why can't God talk to me in that sort of a way? Like, what did he do that was so special that allowed him to be in that place? And then so there's that desire and want to have that communication with God. And through God talk, through the stories that are in there, we talk about it in a in a sort of a different way where God is showing up in these little moments through visualization, through the um, the gas tank meter reading on full for like 110 miles or something like that. And I've never thought about it that way to hear God in those moments and to be connected to God in that and to understand that God is always here with me and always communicating with me. And I remember in conversation with God, you that had come up that God was like, I'm talking to everybody. It's just kind of about who's listening. And I really didn't grasp that at that time because I thought, hey, if I'm not receiving it in the way that Neil's receiving it, well, then I'm not receiving it at all. So thank you. God talk has helped me open my mind to these little beautiful moments. That story you just told about your mother is helping me have that realization that God is here with me and God is showing herself and communicating with me in these little moments that exist. Yes, never separate from you because God is uh, within all of us and we are each an individuation of divinity. I think that's what most people are not really clear about. At least the largest number of people uh, do not embrace the notion that we are individuations of divinity. We are individual expressions of God. So it's not even a question of God being with us always. God is in us. God is part of us. And we are part of God. Or as God said to me, uh, uh, Justin, in in the very first portion of book one, you know, there are 3,000 pages to the nine conversations with God dialogue books. But in the first 20 or 30 pages, I received the most uh, important information. God said to me in the beginning of what became book one, Neil, all things are one thing. There is only one thing. And all things are part of the one thing there is. And we call that one thing, or at least I call that one thing, God. And so I've come to understand that I am a part of that which God is. And so it's not even a question of God being with me all the time. I am an individuation of divinity. The only question then remaining is, do I choose to live that way, experience myself in that way? Demonstrate myself as that, express myself in that way? Or do I choose to know myself and to express myself and to demonstrate myself in some other way? That's been the central question of my life for the past 30 years. What would God do now? If I really thought I was an individuation of divinity, what would God say? What would God think? What would God do right now in this moment? Since my life has been guided by that question, Justin, everything has changed. I ask myself the question a lot, what would love do now? Which is the same question, of course. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And thank you, Neil. You gave me such clarity on that understanding that we are God. We're just a piece of the whole. But by being a piece, we are still a part of the whole. And we are. We are. And like in the book, that really helped give me the clarity. And I cannot express to you what that's done for me in life. 
how that's allowed me to feel my oneness with, not all the time, but as often as I can, the oneness with everything that is around me. And that's brought such peace to my life. It's brought such immense love into my life, into my understanding, into the love I feel for others, knowing that it's not just me who's God in a piece of this. We all are. Yeah. We're all in this together. And and, and not not just all other human beings. Everything, as you said it in just a second ago, everything in life. You, you, you know, Justin, when I moved out of my house about seven years ago now, I had a home that I that we loved. But when it came time to sell it, it was too big for us. We, we had outgrown it, and we no longer needed all those rooms. So we decided to downsize and get a little small little bungalow, my wife and I. So we did. We And we, we put our, our wonderful home in Ashland up for sale. But I'm telling you this story for a reason, you know? The day I left, when the, the new owners you know, had purchased the house and my wife and I were moving into a, a sweet little bungalow that we now live in. But the day that I left, I did something that people would think I'd be crazy to do. I'm sure my neighbors thought I was out of my mind. I went up to the house and I gave it a hug. I went to a corner of the house and hugged the house. And I actually kissed the house and I spoke to the house. I said, thank you. Thank you for all the wonderful moments we shared. Thank you for giving me shelter and safety and a place to call home. I will always hold you in my heart. And please be as good to the new people who will share your space as you were to me. I know you will. I'm, I'm sitting here standing there, Justin, talking to the house. And the only person within a, a mile of me who understood what I was doing was my wife, who, who totally believes what I believe and understood that the house itself was an expression of energy continuing to express. If you put the, any portion of that house, any if you put a, any portion of that house under a microscope, a high-powered Microscope, you'd see simply elements of life, molecules, atoms moving, alive, in motion. Not atoms in one place, but atoms moving from place to place. So the house is alive. Everything is alive. The trees in the backyard, the animals, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and yes, the other people, of course, on the earth. We are all one, simply different combinations of those elements of life. So I gave the house a kiss goodbye. I don't tell that story very often because people think, oh man, he's really whacked out. I, you know, I totally get it. And a huge part of me totally getting it is reading your books. Really, that's how I'm like, of course that makes sense. Absolutely. Neil, it's like surreal for me to hear you talking about like our oneness in real life. I've heard your voice through Audible for years now. So to be here with you and have you actually saying these things in, in real time is is pretty special. Um, and it just 
reminds me again, you know, in moments we just forget and we just need these reminders of the truth of who we are and that we're all one and that we're all love. Everything is connected. There's nothing dividing us. We're all just energy particles moving constantly. So these are, they're always just good reminders to get. And especially coming from you, it hits that much harder. Um, and Neil, I want to, I just, I, I want to ask you too, just going back to God talk, how, for anyone who's listening, who's struggling in life right now or not struggling, but wants to have more of that connection to God. How, how are we able to pick up on these things more? You know, and how, like, how can well, you help guide us to, yeah. Yeah, I, I thank you, Justin. Uh, I did put in the book so that people understand we're talking about a book titled God Talk. And in, in that book, God Talk, which has just been released, it's, it's, it's only, it's, 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 it's such a brand new book that if you pick up and read a hard copy, you might get ink on your fingers because the book just came off the press. It just rolled off the press a few weeks ago. But um, in the book, God Talk, I offer a six-step process in answer to the question you just asked, how how could people maybe move closer to having that experience? May I may I share that process with you? Please, yes, please. The first first step of the process is called possibility. We have to be convinced that it's possible to even have a conversation with God. Not everyone believes that, so that's the first step we have to take. Step number two worthiness. We have to acknowledge that we are worthy for God to be talking to us. Those people who do believe in a God uh, and who believe that God does talk to human beings, and we, we say God talked to Moses and God talked to Jesus and God talked to, you know, many, many wonderful teachers, male and female through the years. But would God talk to us? I mean, would God? I mean, God would talk to me, of course, but God certainly would not talk to Justin. I mean, we've got to have some some kind of standards. So, uh, so Justin would not be among you know. But God may talk to the Pope. Fair enough, and he may he may he may talk to the chief ulama or the head rabbi. But would God actually talk to Justin? I don't think so. So we have to move into worthiness. That is a place of being where we say, no, 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 Neil, you're, you, you misunderstand. God finds every single sentient being worthy of being communicated with. So when we embrace our worthiness, then we have to go to step three, which is willingness. Once we agree to the possibility, once we agree that we are worthy, we have to embrace willingness to re actually receive communications from the divine. And I say that because, Justin, most of the world's religions, and there are 4,223 religions on the earth right now being practiced. I didn't make that number up, by the way. You can Google that. Just type into the Google search engine how many religions are now being practiced on earth, and you'll get the answer. On this day of our life, somewhere around 4,223 religions faith traditions now being practiced. And most of those faith traditions tell us, not all of them, but the largest number of them by far tell us that 
if we announce, if we declare, if we tell other people that God is talking directly to me and through me, we're blaspheming. We're an apostate. We're committing heresy. It's an ecclesiastical offense in most of the world's religions to declare that God is talking directly to us. So we have to be willing to overcome the objection of our entire human culture. Because the human culture, in largest number, tells us, no, 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 God doesn't talk to you, come on. So that's why step three is important. We have to be willing to set aside the messages of our culture and to be willing to accept the truth that God is communicating with thoughts, words, feelings, even fragrances. Uh, all the time. Step number four, wakefulness. That once we are agreeing to the possibility and agreeing to our worthiness and agreeing to be willing, we must be wakeful. That is, we must not allow the messages that we are receiving from the divine to be missed. We have to, you know, like stay awake, be aware, watch what's going on, watch what's going through your your, your life right now. As an example of wakefulness, Justin, there are certain people who are now becoming aware of what we're saying through this very podcast. Wouldn't it be funny if this very podcast was one of those signals that we get from life? One of those messages, if you please, from the divine. You know, my friend Elizabeth Kubler-Ross would call that divine intervention. You know, that, that people just happen, just happen to tune into this podcast. And now they're saying, oh, wow, there are no coincidences. I was wondering about this whole subject. And here's this guy named Justin talking about this very topic. So I guess what I'm saying is step four is stay awake. Step five, acceptance. That is, don't reject the messages that you're receiving by saying, ah, this is my imagination, or you know, just or, or it's just a coincidence, or somehow try to write it off yes. as not being what it really is. So that's a very important step five to accept our messages for what they are. And step six, discernment. To be able to use our own innermost understanding to really not call, you know, every single thing that happens in life, it's a signal. You know, some people say, it's a sign. It's a sign. I reach into my pocket to grab my car keys, and as I pull my car keys out of my pocket, a dollar bill that was in there happens to fall on the, on the ground. It's a sign. I'm supposed to throw all my money on the ground. And so we race to the car and, and take all the paper money out of the car and we throw it on the ground. And someone says, what are you doing? What? Well, I, I had a sign. So it's like use discernment to really understand what is truly a, a communication from the divine and what, and what it's not. So those are the six steps. And I describe them in, in much greater detail and explain them fully in the book. Just to run down uh, again, the six steps, possibility, worthiness, willingness, wakefulness, acceptance, and discernment. Take that pathway, and you might just discover that it's easier than you thought 
to have your own conversations with God. I'm in the process now of getting, working through my old programming of when something like that happens, my brain instantly goes, no, that was a coincidence. Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't God. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we write it off mm -hmm. because, because our culture tells us we have to. Yeah. Justin, we, we can't go around telling anybody else, even telling ourselves for that matter, God is talking to me directly. Because the culture denies all of that. So, of course, our first reaction is to say no. And this process invites us to overcome that inclination and to move into the experience fully, completely, and absolutely. Yes. That is what it is. It's like yeah, that initial thought. Because when I, if I accept that thought that God is communicating directly to me, and then I think, well, let me go share this. Then that next thought is, well, what is that person going to say? And they're probably yeah. going to say, that's not true. No, that's not real. You're making that up. You're imagining that. That's not what that means. I mean, that's something else. And they might even do worse than that. They might even see to, seek to have us committed to the seventh floor of the local hospital in the psychiatric ward. Oh, Neil is, Neil is really lost it, man. He's walking around telling everybody he had a <laughs> conversation with God. I mean, that must have been pretty challenging for you during conversations of, with God, coming out with that. And yes. approaching people and saying, hey, I have these pages and pages and pages of this conversation. Well, I didn't, for, fortunately, I didn't do it that way. I simply I simply sent it to a, a publishing house. Now, people might ask, one person did ask me at a lecture, well, why did you, why did you send it to a publisher? If you didn't want people to know about it, what was that about? You know, if you weren't trying to write a book to make a lot of money, what was your point? When I had my conversation with God experience, it was simply a personal, private, sacred encounter. I never imagined, Justin, in a million years that anyone else would ever know about it. But I was told in that very first conversation, you will make of this one day a book and it will be accessed by many people. And you know what I thought when I received that information? <laughs> now I gotcha. Now I gotcha. <laughs> you, you, you know, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see about that. Because I knew that no publisher in, in, the, in the world was going to publish a book by a guy who claims to be talking to God. It's not going to happen. Mm. I mean, I could just see the publisher walking out to the workroom floor, talking to his editors. Hey, hold the presses. Stop everything. I got a guy here who's talking to God. <laughs> I knew it wasn't going to happen. Nobody's going to publish this stuff. So I sent it to a publisher on a dare. I sent it to like a small number. I didn't send it to like 20 or 30 publishing houses. I sent it to like, I think, three or four, maybe five small publishing houses just to see what would happen. Because if it really was God talking to me, then it would, it would in fact, be published. Well, by golly. A week and a half or two later, I got a call from one of those publishing houses saying, we want to put this book out. I said, you're kidding me. Really? They said, no, really. We're going to change the title because we don't think it should be called Conversations with God. But it's going to be a great, great fiction book. And we're going to really, it'll be to make the top of the bestseller list. I said, wait a minute, hold it, wait a minute. 
Did I hear you say fiction book? You think I sent you a book of fiction? I said to the publisher, excuse me, this is not fiction. This is actually happening to me and to everyone. You may not publish it as a book of fiction and we're never changing the title. So the publisher said, wow, most people react differently to getting their first book, you know, proposed, get it published. But if you're that serious about it, I guess we can call it a nonfiction book. I, I guess we can continue to keep the title, but it's not going to sell. It's going to be a pushback. Many people are not going to buy a book with a title like that. And I said, okay, then we, then we don't, then don't publish it. And he said, no, no, we'll, we'll put it out. If we sell, you know, three or 4,000 copies, fair enough. Well, it didn't sell three or 4,000 copies. It sold 5 million in 37 languages. In every country of the world, I started getting letters from Moscow, from Beijing, from Tokyo, from South America. I was getting letters from people all over the world and emails from people. Because, of course, I put my contact information inside the book. Because I wanted people to be able to get back to me if they had any questions about what they were reading. I promised I would make myself available to everyone once I realized that God's prediction that the book would be published was coming true. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. It's like literally, thank God that you did send it in because it transformed so many lives. It's, you know, I have a few friends who have listened or read, read it as well. And it is just so life changing. It, it, it is, it gives us a blueprint of how we can be more love and how we can shift this world into one where we love each other more and yes. have a full understanding that that's who we are. We are love. Yes. And, and that's the big main message of the book is that shift happens. <laughs> that's S-S-H-I-F-T. Yep. Shift happens. That is good. And honestly, Neil, it's pretty wild that you did keep God in the titles of your books because that is a very triggering word for a lot of people. It's like when I, before listening to your books, when I heard the word God, I thought about it as I felt like you thought about it before conversations with God because I was also raised Catholic. And I, when I heard God, I imagine, you know, this guy in white hair and a beard up in the sky and like the Catholic God. And I know that is what a lot of people perceive God as. So when they hear that, they're either going to be brought towards that or say, no, 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 this is not what I want at all. So the fact that you keep, because it is God. So the fact that you keep keeping God in the actual titles, I think it's just a testament to how powerful the books really, really are and how much they've truly connected people and how they've broken that barrier through that word and can allow people to see it and understand it a little bit clearer than they did before. Yeah, thank you, Justin, for saying that, because what I've been saying in my writing is, and in all of my talks as well, my media interviews and so forth, what we need to do right now as a civilization, as a species, is we need to rehabilitate the word God. We need to re rehabilitate our reference. That's why I wrote a book called The God Solution. Which I, which I wrote about two years ago. And the God solution says, what we need to do is redefine God. You know what's interesting? We've got 4,200 religions I mentioned a moment ago. 
most of those religions can't come to an agreement on a single statement that that they can all accept as universally true because they all have their doctrines and their dogmas and they differ with each other. That's why there are, in fact, 4,000 different religions because of their differences. But my mind said, fair enough, you know, we get to have differences, but isn't there at least one statement that we could all agree on that every religion in the world could agree on? So I offered that in the book called The God Solution. I said, the solution to humanity's problems is simply to redefine who we are who God is and the and the purpose and the function of life itself. And so I gave God a new definition, two words, pure love. And you know, when I when I said that in a lecture, I don't mean to go on and on, uh, Justin, but let me just complete my my through line here. When I say that in a lecture, somebody inevitably gets up in the back of the room. It says, oh, Neil, 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 I've been listening to you for 25 minutes for you to tell me that God is pure. You know, that God, <laughs> it, it, come on. It, it, all the religions agree that God is love. Even religions that have doctrinal differences would agree that God is love. That's your big revelation. And I have to say to them, you, you, you're misquoting me. I didn't say that God is love. I said that God is pure love. Now my friend in the back of the room at the lecture will say, okay, what's the difference? The difference is that pure love needs, expects, requires, and demands nothing in return. Now that's theologically revolutionary. Dare we believe in a God who demands and commands and requires nothing in return from us in order to give us all the love that God has to offer? Or do we believe in a transactional relationship with God? A relationship that says, you know, you give me this and I'll give you that. It's a transaction. It's a trade deal, like nations have trade deals. You give me this and I'll give you that. But if you belong to the wrong religion, if you didn't choose the right religion, then I don't care how kind you are, how generous you are, how thoughtful you are, how sensitive and caring you are, how forgiving you are. I don't care what, how good a person you are. You're still going to hell because you chose the wrong religion. I mean, what can I say? You have to belong to the right religion. You got to come through the right doorway or you're going and you know what I was told as a Catholic, as a, you were raised a Catholic, I know you can remember this, unless you don't. But when I was in third grade, I was nine years old, and the priest came to our classroom to deliver once a week catechism, the, the teachings of the Catholic Church. And he was explaining one week, um, Justin, he was explaining mortal sin and venial sin. He's trying to, he trying to, God bless the guy, he's trying to explain this to nine-year-olds. But he's telling us about, you know, mortal sin is a really serious offense against God. And if you we were to die with a mortal sin on your soul, that is, if you didn't go to confession and have it forgiven by a priest and, you know, given absolution. But if you died, you know, with a mortal sin on your soul, you go straight to hell. No questions asked. And I said, Father, but what if you're even on your way to church, like on your way to confession and get hit by a car? God's, the priest said, I'm sorry, son. 
But if you die before having the sin confessed and and forgiven, you would be going to hell. I said, well, then can you give me an example of what a mortal sin is, Father? What would be a mortal sin? And I'm thinking he's going to say like murdering somebody or stealing someone's life savings or some, you know, really big sin. He said, oh, sure. It's a mortal sin if you miss Mass on Sunday. I said, Father, really? Now, by the way, incidentally, for those of you who are listening, folks, this is not an ancient teaching of the church that they dropped away from years ago. I checked a couple of years back to make sure that I wasn't telling, a, you know, a falsity about the church. The church teaches to this day that if you miss Mass on Sunday without a good excuse, I mean, fair enough if you're caring for a sick parent or if you're an adult who has to work on Sunday to support your family. Okay, fair enough. But if you just decide to just miss Mass to go play golf on Sunday morning because, you know, a friend that you haven't seen in 10 years has come to town and, or, or whatever, you do, then you, you're going to hell if you die before you get to confession. So now uh, uh, there's more to this story because I, as it happened that very week, I was an altar boy, I should tell you. I, I was at every, I was at every mass. I could, I could recite all the prayers in Latin. I mean, I knew I, I was an altar boy. Dominus vobiscum et cum spiritutuo ite missae est. I knew the mass in, in Latin. That's how, that's how close I was to the teachings. But this particular Sunday, sure enough, the playground had their, citywide, you know, softball tournament. And the, the teams, they're saying to Neil, you're our right fielder. We need you out there. Come on. The, the game starts at 10. You can get to, you can get to mass by 11. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, okay, okay. So I went, and of course, it had to go into extra innings naturally. So I didn't get to mass that Sunday. Now I'm thinking, listen to this. The priest is telling me I committed a mortal sin. That's how we keep people coming to the pews, folks, by fear of God. Yes. Now, now I'm nine years old, and I'm saying my nightly prayers. We only had confession once a week in our in our church. I couldn't just ask them. I had to wait till Saturday. Saturday between one and four, they had confession. This is a Wednesday. He's telling me this is a mortal sin. So I'm saying my prayers at night. This is a true story, Justin. I'm crying in my now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Please, God, don't send me to hell. I didn't mean to miss Mass. Why should we scare the... I almost want to say scare the hell out of a nine-year-old child <clears throat> by telling him he's going to hell. That's the kind of a God we, we're told to believe in when I was nine years old. Neil, one of the, the things that I'm most grateful for in coming from your books is that you showed me a God that I can love and that I knew loved me unconditionally. I never had that before. When I was younger, uh, my dad was not Catholic. He never came to church with us. And I would oh, visualize- Oh boy, is he in trouble. Literally. And Neil, as a child, so we used to play sports. I played basketball and he refed when I was a kid. And for my little brain to process him going to hell, I imagine him in his basketball clothes, like dodging fireballs being thrown at him. And I was terrified that my dad was going to go to hell. 
because we had a God that condemned us and judged us. And it was only until your book that made me fall back in love with God again. Because you showed us a God that loves us unconditionally. You showed us a God, the truth of who God actually is, not this man-made fictional God that we've created to instill fear in people to get them to do what we want them to do and to have power over them. So that in itself, and I like, because now I know that that's who God is, this has reminded me that that's where that actually did come from. And you know why this is, you know why this discussion is very important, folks, those of you who are listening to this podcast right now, you have to understand what's going on here because eight out of 10 people surveys have shown Recent surveys taken by sociologists have had one question on the survey. Do you believe in a higher power? And Justin, eight out of 10 people say yes. They believe in some sort of higher power. They may not agree with each other on, you know, what it is or how it works or what it wants and so forth on all the doctrines. But eight out of 10 people believe that there is some kind of higher power. Hmm. Now, here's the problem. If eight out of 10 people believe in a God, most of those people, the largest number of them believe in a God who is loving, fair enough but also judgmental, condemning, and punishing. And that gives us permission to be judgmental, condemning, and punishing with each other, even with people we say we love, to say nothing of those we don't say we love. So if we eliminate the idea of a God who is judgmental, condemning, and punishing, there goes our justification. There goes our rationale, because the religions tell us we should be imitating the divine. So. When we decide that God will not judge, condemn, or punish us, now what is our rationale for judging, condemning, and punishing each other? Can we finally come to a place where we can love each other with pure love that needs, expects, hopes for, demands nothing in return? Justin, we can't even love the person on the pillow next to us in that way. It took me 30 years to learn how to judge the person on the pillow next to me that way, my life partner, to be able to say, you know what? I need, require, expect, and certainly demand nothing of you in return. And nothing can stop me from loving you because I don't love you for what you can give me. I love you for what I see across the room. You're totally lovable. Whatever you do or do not do for me, you are totally lovable, and I see you. That's the wonderful line from that movie, Avatar. I don't know if anybody saw that movie, but it's one of the only love stories in, in Hollywood history where the words, I love you, are never spoken. Those words are never included in the script anywhere, but it's a great love story. But you know what the people who fall in love say to each other? I see you. Yes, yes, yes. I see you. I think God had said this through you that um, that how can we practice unconditional love when we don't even believe that our gods practice unconditional love? That made that so clear to me. It's like, of course, if I believe that this God is judgmental, condemning, and doesn't love me unconditionally, then how could I give that to somebody else? And it is in that realization that that's who God is, that then gives us the freedom and the ability to act in the same way. 
it gives us, it's like a breath of fresh air. It allows us, it gives us that opening to say, okay, I am able to act this way. I can be unconditional in my love. I can love you for you. I can just see you as you are, not judging you, not wanting you to be a certain way because that's not how God looks at me. Hmm. That is theologically revolutionary. Yeah, It runs counter to the teachings of 90% of the world's religions. Neil, what do you feel, you know, in uh, through the past few decades? Because, you know, you do, you have, you have been able to tap into God on another level that uh, most of us have not been to yet. Um, not that it's not possible for us, but just a lot of us have not quite gotten there. So what do you feel like is like the number one piece of clarity or wisdom that God has shared with you that is most important for humankind to, to understand? The most important message in all the conversations that God books is this, in my opinion. It's God's answer to when I said, okay, what is it? What is it? I don't understand. <laughs> the understanding of which would make my life change for the better forever. And God said, oh, sweetheart, it's so simple. It's so simple. Your life is not about you. Your life has nothing to do with you. Your life is about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. And when you understand that, your whole life will change. And then you will discover a larger truth, a universal truth, that at the highest level, it turns out that your life is about you, but for an amazing reason. There's no one else in the room. There is only one of us. So, of course, what you do for another, you do for yourself. And what you fail to do for another, you fail to do for yourself. Because there's only one of us in the room, Neil. You'd like be with that for a second. We need to end our belief in a separation theology. A theology that says that everything is separate from everything else. We are separate from God. We are separate from each other. We are separate from all of life. You know, that wouldn't be so bad if it began and ended there, but a separation theology doesn't end there. It inevitably produces a separation cosmology that is a cosmological holding of humanity that says everything is separate from everything else. I have my agenda, you have your agenda. I have my needs, you have your needs. I have to serve my needs first, etc., etc. And you know what? Even that wouldn't be so bad I mean, if, if that was as far as it went. But the problem is that a separation cosmology inevitably produces a separation psychology that is an individual holding that I am separate from you. 
and I must pay attention to what it takes for me to survive, and then my family, and then whatever else, and then my country, my nation, you know, one nation under God. And if and if you have a problem with my the borderlines of my nation, I will come and kill thousands of your people to let you know where the borderline is supposed to be. We will kill thousands of people to make that point. And the problem is that it doesn't end there because the separation psychology produces an, 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 a separation sociology. That is an entire society that says we're separate from each other and groups within that society. We call them political parties or, or religions or nationalities or genders. We have labels that we give these individual smaller groups that say, and they don't understand, my group is the group that has it right. And your group is the group that has it wrong. And if you believe in one of my groups says that we can make humanity great again. But if you don't believe in what my group says, then I will seek retribution when I get into power. I'll teach you to disagree with me. <laughs> Not that anybody in politics would actually say such things, but and the, the problem with the separation sociology is that it inevitably produces a separation pathology. Pathological behaviors of self-destruction, which we've seen throughout human history, and yea, even unto this very moment. So we get that our theology produces a cosmology, which produces a psychology, which generates a sociology, which ultimately produces a pathology. Pathological behaviors of self-destruction. Guys, we start at the beginning, embrace a new theology, and all the rest of the dominoes will fall in, in a new way, finally. I could, of course, be wrong about all of this. Yes. <laughs> there it but, is. Sorry. But I don't think so. Right. One of the things too, Anil, I you you were so perfect for conversations with God because you questioned so much. Me, I would have been like, perfect. Thanks, God. That sounds great. Awesome. Yep. hundred percent. You had you challenged, which allowed it to touch so many more lives. Because there's people out there who also would have challenged it, and they needed your voice to ask the questions that they would have wanted to have asked. And I feel like that allowed that to connect with them more and God to come into their lives more because you presented those challenges and you did those things. And you said, well, maybe maybe if none of this is right. And in the books too, they mentioned God says it too. Maybe none of this is right. right? And God said to you, maybe I'm your imagination. Maybe none of this is true. And then you spoke about living the life that we talk about in this book, doing these things that we talk about, not because we're telling you to or because it's coming from God, but to do those things, to experience them for yourself. Try them and see if there's any way better that you can live. And that has helped me so much too, not trying to force my thoughts or ideas or views on people, even though I think they may help them or serve them or be the best thing for them or be the most loving action I could give towards them. It's helped me understand that, that I'm not here to dictate or tell anyone what to do, offer suggestions or ideas, and allow them to experience them for themselves so that they can know for themselves if this is something that aligns and works with them or not. 
are what I love that I love the statement in conversations with God. It says in the dialogue, don't believe a word you've read here. Simply, if you find it intriguing enough and interesting enough, try it out in your own life. If it doesn't work, throw these books away. And above all, always be your own authority in all spiritual matters. Yes. Neil, we talked about this a little bit, but I want to ask you just directly for anyone out there who has interpretations of God or how they view God or who they think God is, how would you describe God? From all your experiences, how would you describe how would you describe her? Um, I would say that God is everything that is, that ever was and ever will be. That I would say that trying to describe or define God in any particular way would put a limitation on that which is unlimited. Mm. So by by definition, it's impossible to come to a an idea about God that is comprehensive and complete unless we say that God is all that is, the essential energy, the primary essence, the prime force, if you please. You know, I, I think of it as, you know, the the stem cell of the universe. God is the stem cell of the universe. And and it can duplicate itself and replicate itself in any way that it chooses or wishes and can take any physical form that it desires. The source of supreme understanding, awareness, comprehension, and supreme pure love that wants nothing from us and needs nothing from us any more than you need something from a 16-year-old or 16-month-old child. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And so, Neil, as we just kind of start to wrap things up a little bit, um, I want to ask you the question that I ask every single guest on the podcast. And it's funny because you're doing this the most out of anyone I've, I've ever spoken to. Um, but I would just love to hear it in, in your words as well. So this podcast, Justin being in this form, this time, in this reality right now, I feel like not even my purpose, but what resonates in me the most now and what I feel brings me the most joy in life is helping to shift the collective consciousness of the planet to one that is more loving and kind and peaceful and empathetic, forgiving, understanding, accepting, a consciousness that is more one. That's like literally the whole purpose of having conversations uh, like this with people like you to help in the shift of consciousness. Neil, again, you're doing this already, but how do you feel like every day you as well are aiding and helping and, and helping in this sort of a shift of consciousness? I don't know that I am. Uh, I, I don't want to claim that for myself in any big or huge way. It's important for people to be aware that I'm not thinking of myself as that element or aspect of our life and that's going to change the world. 
or alter humanity's consciousness. But I do think that I am changing myself. And I think that by working to change myself, I might have a positive impact on a few people whose lives I've touched. But that isn't my goal. I'm not, a, I'm not out here trying to change the world. I'm out here seeking to alter myself, to change myself to such a degree that as I move through the world, perhaps other people will find themselves touched in a way that serves them additionally. So I'm here to complete my soul's agenda, which is to announce and declare, to express and fulfill, to demonstrate and to experience who I really am as an individuation of divinity. I'm no different from God than a wave is from the ocean. A wave is not separate from the ocean, nor is it something other than the ocean. It's simply an individual arising, an individual expression of the ocean, beautiful and magnificent and powerful in its form. And when that individual expression is complete, the wave recedes back into the ocean whence it came to arise again on another day. Mm. And so my intention is to listen to God's invitation to me when she said, sweetheart, just go out there and make waves. Hmm. That was amazing. And I just, I couldn't agree more with the sentiment and the idea that it's not, you know, doing anything outside of ourselves ever. It's us being, working on ourselves, being the most loving, highest version of ourselves. And then in doing that, maybe people will take notice. Maybe they'll say, wow, what Neil's doing, there's a, there's a brightness coming from him. There's an energy coming from Neil that I just, I can't get away from. Like what's going on there? And in that sense, it's not telling or dictating people what to do, but I think right through our actions and people can see that is the strongest way to help somebody or help guide them into a path that's more loving. Well, Gandhi put it perfectly. Said Gandhi, be the change you wish to see. Just way more effective, way more to the point than all the words I said. That's exactly what it is. It is just being the change that we want to see. It only ever, ever, ever starts with us. Neil, and I, I want to make this like, I just want to tell you this too very, very clearly, because I know in conversations with God, it came up in, during the conversation at one point that you were like, eh, maybe I'm helping people, maybe not. And God responds and they're saying, like, Neil, do you think the letters you received, all those people you've touched, that you're making an impact? You're like, you know, based off of what they said, sure, I'm making some sort of an impact. And that humility transcends time and space. It's amazing. But I want to let you know this, and I've already touched on this a few times through the episode, I'll just speak for myself. You have made a massive, massive impact on my life. Um, the conversations with God, God coming through you and onto the page has given me hope in life. It showed me uh, a life that's filled with love, a God that's filled with love. It has ignited my soul to be the most loving, 
highest version of myself that I can possibly be because now I know we are love, that God loves us unconditionally. And it has truly transformed how I take every step of every single day. And I just cannot be more, I literally cannot express and put into words how grateful, thankful, appreciative I am of that. You've helped create so much peace and happiness and love in my life. Um, and I just simply can't thank you enough for that. Those are very wonderful words to hear from anyone. And thank you, Justin, for sharing those words with me. I receive that energy with humility and gratitude. And I only hope that somehow or another, all of us can behave in a way that can bring benefit to those whose lives we touch. So thank you for saying those words to me. Of course, of course. Thank you so much. Um, and Neil, just before we do cut out, uh, if you just want to let people know where they can find you online, if you have a website uh, where people can uh, purchase your book, just anything so that people can get in contact with you, reach out to you, or just have the ability to take in some of the amazing work that you've put out there. Well, I have a Facebook page with almost a million followers. They can find me there. Uh, they can also find me on my uh, dedicated website, CWG Connect. CWG, of course, stands for Conversations with God. So the website is cwgconnect.com. That's a way to stay connected to the energy. And there's a column there called Ask Neil, where people can ask me any question they want. I visit that column three times a day to make sure that people get an answer directly from me to any question they may have about the material and how it could be applied in their daily life. So thank you for asking that question. Of course. Uh, and so we'll put those things in the show notes and we'll put a link uh, to the new book, God Talk, Experiences of Humanity's Connections with a Higher Power. I'm a little more than halfway through. It's been incredible so far, so I definitely recommend it to anybody who's listening right now. Neil, I just a million times over, thank you. You're a beautiful soul. You're just an incredible person. I am humbled to be sharing this space with you. Appreciate and love you so much. So thank you very much for being here. It's lovely to have spent this time with you and thank you for giving me the opportunity to do so. Blessed be. Of course. Uh, everybody, so much love for you. Thank you for being here uh, with myself and Neil during this conversation. This is an incredibly special episode uh, for me in the podcast. So it means even that much, much, that much more that you're here. Love you so much. Cannot wait to see you next week. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Neil. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please like, follow, share, subscribe, whatever you can do to help share this with the world. We put a lot of energy, effort, and time into creating this beautiful podcast with these incredible guests to help bring more awareness to the love that exists all around us. So if you can help spread some love, we'd really appreciate it. Love you.